Thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry, you can check us out on the web at hillsideassembly.org. You're about to hear a message from our current message series, and I hope you open your heart and mind to hear a word from God today. Well, this is our last Sunday here for now, and uh, we have so enjoyed, I think you know that, we so enjoyed being here. Uh, we've noticed the great improvement, growth in, in our church here in the last six years. <laughs> Sounds like a whale was here. You know? <laughs> Have not having been here for a while, when we drop back in again, it was it's a different church. Our church is different. There's new people here, more openness, more responsive. I think the church has grown spiritually in the last six years, and so it's just great to come back and see what's happening here, what God's doing here. And I want to thank Pastor Eric for allowing me to be here. He contacted me probably uh, late winter, I'm guessing, about this eight weeks, and Eric, if you're watching, hope you are to make sure you can see what I'm doing <laughs> and not doing. <laughs> but to trust somebody, to turn your church over to somebody to minister eight weeks, that doesn't happen too often. It's a lot of trust. And I just thank him for trusting me to be here and, and ministering for these weeks. So um, somebody said to me last week, so it like, looks like he's enjoying his sabbatical. Hope he comes back. <laughs> he's coming back. He's coming back. I probably, I probably told this story six years ago. I don't know. You probably don't know. You probably don't care. You probably, probably forgot. But there was this man that had a dog named Mace. Mace, kind of a strange name, but Mace was a strange dog. Mace thought he was a sheep. And so Mace liked to graze out into the tall grass and eat the stuff. Well, one day the, the owner lost his wrench out in the grass. He thought, I can't. It's my favorite wrench. He said, I know. I'll take Mace out there. Let Mace graze around and maybe Mace will find the wrench. Well, Mace found the wrench. The man was so happy, he wrote a song about his grazing Mace. <laughs> Here's what he said. A grazing mace, how sweet the hound that saved a wrench for me. <laughs> Hope I didn't wreck that song for anybody. <laughs> the reason I did it, last Sunday we sang Amazing Grace. So I just triggered something and had to do it. Okay. We're going to talk about the cross today, communion service. I love communion Sunday. And... Kind of a, maybe a different dimension to what the cross offers us today. So my title, my message is, You're a Gift. And let's just begin reading in John 19, 25 to 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Here we find two individuals, foot of the cross, watching this horrible 
scene in front of them, crucifying, murdering, actually torturing Jesus to death. That's what happened. I want, you, I want us just to close our eyes this morning. Everyone, just, I want you to do something kind of weird, maybe kind of strange. I want you to try to picture one of your children, maybe grandchildren, hanging up on that cross. Just, just do it. Nails through their, hanging from nails, horrible pain. Try to picture one of your children up there, hanging there. Then, then change the picture to one of your best friends hanging up there in the cross. All the pain, fever, dry mouth, losing blood. You see, that's kind of what we just read, okay? A mother seeing her son up there, living color, right in front of her. And John seeing his best friend up there. So that's, that's kind of the picture of what we're looking at at the cross right here. You see, Mary had been told something is going to hurt you. A sword's going to pierce your soul. Now, this happened when they brought Jesus as a baby to the temple, according to the Old Testament law. And st these are still living under the Old Testament law here. Jesus hadn't died yet and hadn't risen yet. And so... When Jesus was a small boy, they took him to the temple as the law was to dedicate him and to present him. And while they were there, a man was there, an old man, a prophet, Simon, some people call him Simeon. And here's, here's what this man said to Mary from Luke chapter 2, verses 33 to 35. This was his prophecy to Mary about her son. That looks good. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simon, Simeon, blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And here it is. Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Also, I don't know if Mary remembered that part. Maybe not. Maybe didn't. I don't know. But now she's standing at the foot of the cross, and I think she can feel that sword. Maybe it's twisting a little bit. Oh, wow. My son, the Messiah, the son of promise. It's all over. He's, he's going to be dead in a few minutes or an hour. It's all over. I mean, what agony that Mary went through. You see, she, she had to come through a lot of transitions with Jesus. When the angel appeared to her, you know, blessed art thou one among women. And as the baby grew within her, what joy. She was chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as Jesus began to grow uh, at the birth, the angels, the choir, glory to God in the highest. That's my son they're singing about and. And the beat goes on. We kind of lose sight of Jesus growing up. And we catch him at age 12. The family had come down to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. It appeared they had a, somewhat of a caravan of families and friends and relatives. 
And so they went to the feast, and they left to go back up north home. And Jesus was, they thought, somewhere in the company, in the crowd. Uh, they didn't miss him at all yet because all these people, he's with his cousins or something. But after the day's up, they're looking out for Jesus, and he's not there. So they're about a day up somewhere. So they had to go back to Jerusalem, maybe another day's walk, I don't know. Then they, they spent three days looking for him. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, if you're at a mall somewhere and one of your little kids is gone for 20 seconds, <laughs> you're panicking. We've had that happen. I said, I'm running to the door. You look around here. Somebody take. Well, he was gone for three, four, or five days by now. And they finally find him teaching. And they said, you know, they were a little ticked off at him. Had a right, right to be. We've been looking for you. You know what you did to us? And here's Jesus' re remark. He said, I must be about my father's business. And he wasn't talking about Joseph, was he? No. Things are changing now a little bit. Uh, the relationship between Jesus and his mother had to change. At some point, Mary had to be a follower of Jesus, not just the mother of Jesus. And so things are, you know, later on one time they were looking for him. And Mary and some brothers of Jesus, they came to a place where he was. They couldn't get in. There was too many people there. So they sent word in to Jesus, your mother and brothers are out here waiting, looking for you. And uh, he said, well, who are my mother and brother? It's those that follow the God and follow the kingdom of God. That, that's who my brother and brother is. Anyone who will do the will of the Father. So he, he wasn't demeaning his mother or his brothers. It was just things had to change here. Things were a little different now. They're not always, not always going to be that way. It's, it's going to be a different. When uh, they ran out of wine at the wedding, Jesus is now kind of emerging his public ministry. Mary called Jesus to do something about this wine gone. And again, he's, he made a statement that was a little strange, kind of strange. And she, she, he said, this woman, what do, I, what do you have to do with me about this? He wasn't disrespecting his mother. Jesus wouldn't do that. And we know at the cross, he made plans for her future to be taken care of by John. But things were changing. Things were different now. Mary had to be at the cross. Mary was in the upper room. So... Mary had to come to the place where I'm not just the mother of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. And little by little, the, the separation kind of came, uh, how things were going to be in the future. And he loved his mother. He knows what the Bible said, honor your father and mother. He surely wasn't dishonoring her. But he had to make sure she was not just the mother, but a follower. She, had to, she needed a savior too, just like everybody else. And so Mary's whole relationship here was kind of changing, little by little, little by little. Remember that song that came out maybe 20 years ago, Mary, Did You Know? Mark Lowry. She had to realize he's the great I am. And so things are different here now. John, he's there too. John was a great friend of Jesus. I mean, the Bible calls him uh, a man that Jesus 
chose to love dearly, I think is what the Bible says. He loved Jesus. John was at, next to Jesus at the Last Supper a few hours ago. He's at the cross when it's all over now. See, John had some memories, too, about Jesus. I mean, John's mother asked Jesus for the two best seats in heaven for her sons. That's a lot of gall. <laughs> Can my two sons have the right, sit in your right hand, left hand? And Jesus said this. Well, that's up to God. The Father's going to choose that one. But then he said to John and his brother, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And with vigor and enthusiasm, they said, yes. Now John's standing up there looking at Jesus. I wonder if he still meant yes. Now he can see the, the cost of discipleship, what it meant to Jesus. And it was going to mean that to most of these disciples. They were going to have to drink a cup like Jesus did, in a sense, of giving their lives. And so we see these relationships going on here and what's happening and how Jesus was ministering even before he died because Jesus did something here that was kind of interesting, kind of unique. Uh, I want us to go back to John 19, 26 and just see that, that part of that verse again. Woman, here's your son. Next verse. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, his disciple took her into his home. Here's the, here's the heart of my message today, okay. At the cross, before he died, while he was still in agony, he thought about two people. You know, eventually he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was going through agony, not just the pain of the nails, but God kind of turning his back on all this sin and as Jesus paid the price. He had time then to think of his mother and his best friend. I thought, what a remarkable thing. That's, I sure wouldn't be thinking of much myself if I was hanging up there. I wouldn't be thinking of anybody except myself and all the pain and the thirst and the fever or whatever, the loss of blood. Here's the, heart of, here's the heart of my message today. You could have just come in now and you could leave in two minutes. You'll get the whole thing, okay? Jesus was establishing new relationships at the cross even before he died. He was putting people together. He's putting a mother together with a son. And he said, Mom, this is going to be your son from now on. Okay, I'm, I'm leaving, basically. And, and my good friend here, this is going to be your mother from now on. And that's what happened. John took Mary into, into his house as his mother and took care of her and helped her, I'm sure, till she passed away years later. And so we see these, these relationships being developed at the foot of the cross. He's putting people together. We need each other, okay? One person can be a Christian. One person cannot be a church. We need each other to be the body of Christ, the church. We come together and we see what the Lord is doing in our lives. He was basically putting relationships together at the foot of the cross. He's still doing that in our lives. He's still wanting that to happen. One time, Jesus was teaching his disciples and he said, you know, the people in the world, they want to lord it over each other and we've got this ladder we climb and kind of dog eat dog and 
the rat race, sometimes the rat wins, you know, okay. And Jesus said, no, that's not going to be that way. With, not going to be that way with us. It's, we serve each other. We love each other. We, we help each other. That's the kingdom of God. And at the foot of the cross, he's putting these people together. It's what it means to take communion. I, I'm, I'm pointing to you. You're pointing to each other. There's my brother. There's my sister. There's people in the body of Christ that we need each other. We build each other up. We help each other. You see, communion means I'm set free. I'm forgiven. You're set free. You're forgiven. And God puts us together to bless and to help and to minister to each other. He did that before he died. We know when he died, the sin problem was dealt with and our healing was paid for. But before any of that happened, he made new relationships at the cross. We're together. We belong together. We need each other. These two people are going to need each other. Mary's going to need some help. All her life, this Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, now he's, at this point, he's, he's going to be dead. It's all over. Even though Jesus often talked about rising again, they never quite caught that part, okay, until after it happened. Somehow they missed that. They even missed the part that Jesus was going to die. I mean, Peter took him aside one day and said, Jesus, listen to me now. This isn't going to happen, you know. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It's going, to have to, it's going to happen. So here are two people. The best friend is gone. John spent three and a half years approximately, probably 24-7, 365 just about. Well, Jesus dared to love especially. His friend, best friend is gone. Mary's son is gone. He put people together and said, we need each other. We need to be together here. He points us to each other. The church... You know, there, there are people in most of our churches that are born again, spirit-filled, that are probably closer to some other Christian than they are their own blood relationships. I've seen this a lot of times. They're closer to somebody in the body of Christ. God pointed us to each other. We need each other. That's really true of, of a pastor's family. Most pastors are in a town somewhere far from their families, biological families. You know, her, Rosalie's parents are from central Kansas, from the, a big metropolis of about 800 people called St. John. It used to be 1,800. Used to be 1,800. Okay, I got to remember that. Since she left, the town shrank. <laughs> it's your fault. So they're down there. We, we would see them with our kids maybe once a year, rare occasions twice. When our children were very little, my parents moved to uh, Sun City, Arizona. And so we'd see them once every two years or so. So my, my kids had no cousins around. They had some in Kansas. and well, no, no cousins. Who, are their, who becomes their cousins? The kids at church, okay. Our kids had really no grandparents around. I still remember our boy, Brett. He was probably five, six, maybe. He found an old lady in the church. He was probably a whole lot younger than I am now. <laughs> at that point, I thought she was an old lady. But Her husband was our treasure, 
And so he stayed after the service to count the offering with some other men and make the deposit slip. You guys know what that is here, don't you? You still do that? At least you don't run off of the whole thing by yourself, right? I was looking at that new car you had. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, so this lady, elderly lady, is just sitting in the pew in the back while her husband is back in the room somewhere counting the offerings. And she would just sit there for half an hour. Everybody's kind of gone or out in the foyer somewhere. And our little boy spotted her. She's partially blind, I think, wasn't she at that time? I think. And he'd go up and sit next to her and, and snuggle up next to her every Sunday night for half an hour. That was pretty much his grandma. And she died a, a year or two after that. I remember taking my son, he was probably seven maybe, even, I don't know, eight, took him out of school so he could go to the funeral. And I picked him up and walked by the casket and he looked in. He said, can I touch her? I said, absolutely. He touched her. I just, that person meant a lot to him. I wanted him to kind of see that she went home to be with Jesus. That, he was probably closer to that grandma than to my mother or your mother because hardly saw them. The body of Christ is a wonderful thing. And Jesus started putting together people, relationships, even before he died, this is your mother, now this is your son. He's pointing, look around sometimes. Your, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, they're here. Whether they're biologically yours or not, they're here. The, the body of Christ is put together. Jesus made sure that we had relationships with each other at the front of the cross. We greet people. We hug people. This, this hug is from Jesus. I love you. This... This handshake, this, this greeting is from Jesus. He put us together at the foot of the cross before he actually died. Wow. You know, the people that are the hardest to love need it the most. You know, we look around in society and we find, you know, the outrageous sinners and rebels and misfits and the outcasts and it's hard to love people like that because they don't have love or haven't experienced much love. They've often developed a really weird lifestyle. And it's hard to love people like that. But who needs love more than those who are hardest to give it to? And that's part of what Jesus wants us to do, uh, to see people that need to be loved, need a relationship. You know, People are much more willing to take advice or correction when they know they've been accepted, okay? And God bless the people that know the difference between acceptance and approval. Because I accept people doesn't mean I approve of their lifestyle. God accepts you and me, and I don't think he approves everything I think, say, or do still accepts me. Uh, I was reading in one of the Gospels uh, Thursday or Friday, and Jesus was walking by, and he saw Matthew. He said, follow me, Matthew. He was a tax gatherer, cheater, swindler. People hated him. 
A lot of times in Bible, you see the word sinner and tax collector kind of synonymous. So he said, come with me. And that night, Matthew invited Jesus to a, some kind of a gathering or a party in his home. Mostly other tax collectors and sinners and weirdos, according to the Jewish people. Nothing to do with, well, the religious hierarchy saw this and they said to his disciples, what's Jesus doing in there were all those sinners and tax collectors? They didn't think that. Jesus accepted them. He sure didn't approve of what Matthew, his, his lifestyle, absolutely not. So it's, it's, it's one thing to people to know we accept them. I was talking about some of our neighbors at our condo a couple of weeks ago. Lifestyle couldn't be any different than ours. <laughs> they have too much to drink. They put the music on. They're, they're out there singing. It's, it's laughable. I mean, it's, I, I was in my hammock the other day. Most days. <laughs> and I'm going around. It's kind of out in front of my, and their unit is right next there. And So she kept, Coming out to the hammock, oh, you need to be pushed. And I said, I'm, thanks a lot, Robin, I'm okay. Oh, no, and she said, I know I'm drunk, but you need some help here. <laughs> Those people love us. You know why? We've accepted them. I don't approve of much of what they do at this point. We're going to lead them to Christ. I've told them a lot of some of our other neighbors don't like these people because they make so much noise so once in a while. and They're kind of outcasts from a lot of other people in the condo. And we've told them, we like you guys. We're glad you're here. We like you. You like us? Yeah, we like you. We really like, they couldn't believe we, we like them. We're one of the few people there that like them. <laughs> so we've, we, we've accepted them. I don't want any part of their lifestyle. I mean, it's not, not, it's not us. But they, felt, they feel loved and accepted. It's amazing what will happen next. They'll be much more willing to hear us talk about the gospel or about Jesus, about prayer. One of her best friends just died and devastated her. They had to go back to Illinois to, for the funeral. We said, we'll be praying for you. And you're, oh, thank you so much. They're going to be much more willing when we start talking about Jesus and accepting Jesus as Savior. If somebody else in the condo would come to them, they'd say, you know, go away. We don't need. We've accepted them. And Jesus accepted Matthew, and eventually he was a follower. But you have to be accepted first. And Jesus put relationships together. The ones who are easy to love, no problem there. That's easy. It's easy to love and hug and shake hands with people that are born-again Christians, have a godly lifestyle. I mean, that's not hard. Duh, you know. It's those that are difficult to love. So Jesus is putting relationship together at the foot of the cross and wanting us to be our participant there. And, and so let, let Jesus help us. Jesus wants to point us to people who need a relationship with us first, maybe, and then with Jesus.
And that's, that's where we get out of our shell a little bit. We get a, a lot of us are in a cocoon. I kind of like the cocoon. We've talked about this the other day. We were raised in cocoons. All my friends were from the quiz team, from our youth groups, the A group back then, Youth for Christ group. I mean, these are my friends, and I'm so happy I grew up that way. I never backslid, never wanted to, I never, never wanted to go that route. But in, in a sense, since we were raised in cocoons, we relate very easily to other people that are in cocoons, <laughs> in a spiritual environment, and that's wonderful. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But at times, it's a little more difficult to accept people out there that need our love, need Jesus' love. And he put us together at the foot of the cross. And with that, I'm going to turn this over to Mike. And Mike's going to come and lead us in our communion service this morning. And then we'll go on with a, a time of worship after that. Who's ready to celebrate communion today? Amen. Amen. The psalmist said, I will lift up the cup of salvation. Is, has every here, everybody here been served? Does everybody have one? Okay, so we're good to go. So pastor told me I had to start peeling this beforehand. So we're kind of going <laughs> to prepare the bread. And uh, I just want to mention a few things. This is a celebration. And we practice open communion here, which means if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the only prerequisite we have, that you're a follower of Jesus, as Pastor Joel said, that Matthew was. We also take just a moment as, as we are preparing, this is a chance to examine your heart. The Bible says to examine ourselves, to make sure that we're in the right place with God. If we need to ask for forgiveness, be reconciled with somebody that we're at odds with, mm. etc. <clears throat> and uh, Pastor Joel referred to it as the Last Supper, which uh, is, is another name for communion. But do you know the roots of it? Do you know where it started? The Passover? Yeah. How many of you are familiar with the Passover in the Old Testament? Mm -hmm. The Passover. This Last Supper was a Jewish Passover meal celebrated during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover was when the lamb was taken and his blood was shed, the blood was applied to the doorposts of their houses. When the angel of death came over, God would pass over when he saw the blood. Amen. Amen. That's where our Last Supper comes from. And there's, there's just so much significance there. And uh, as, as we have our worship team here, this is taking communion is something that every true Christian church does. This is one of the few central elements of Christian worship. Churches can be entirely different, but this communion is probably the greatest unifying event in church history. Just think about it. Passover, the Lord's Supper, this is what Jesus said to do in remembrance of him. 
of what he did for us, how he took our sins upon himself, died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead. Amen? So this Passover has transcended Old and New Testament, Jew and Gentile. It's just so, so wonderfully transcendent. And so we would like to uh, prepare our bread. Jesus said this was symbolic of his body. Of uh, probably at the Passover meal, I believe it was unleavened bread. So it says in the Gospels, the four Gospels and uh, 1 Corinthians 11. And if you'd like further study, there are some sheets out there where the communion elements were. If you'd like to take a sheet home and look it up more. And it says, Jesus gave thanks. So let's give thanks today. Lord, we thank you for your body, which was broken for us. Upon the cross of Calvary, you took our sins upon yourself. And the psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. It says, Jesus gave thanks, broke the bread, gave it to them, and said, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. So do that today with us. So now if you'd like to prepare your cup, if you could just peel that back carefully. And uh, I kind of wore a little red-hinted shirt today, so if I spilled anything on it, Nancy wouldn't find out that I made a mess again. I will lift up the cup of salvation. And it says, Jesus gave thanks, so Lord, we thank you, Father God, today for the precious blood of the Lamb, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen. It says, this do in remembrance of me. So we look back at what Jesus did. And it says, as often as you come together, do this looking forward until the Lord comes. Jesus is coming again. Amen, saints? Amen. And um, it also said in, uh, in two of the, the Gospels that they sung a hymn. And I, I just like to mention, too, the Lamb of God. You remember John the Baptist in, in the Spirit recognized Jesus? When he first saw Jesus, remember, they were cousins, but when he saw him, you know, spiritually, he said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist saw when he saw Jesus coming to be baptized by him. And then later, Paul says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Amen. And then it said, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We'd like to sing a song, and, and my, my former sister-in-law sent this to me this week, a song I had never heard, Thank You, Jesus, for the blood. And if Dave could bring, if Anthony could bring that song up,
And uh, Robbie and I are going to lead in this. So if you could just kind of absorb this song. It's very singable, very simple, just four lines. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious light. Let's sing it together. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious light. Let's sing it a cappella. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious light. He brought me. Brought me from the darkness into glorious light. He brought me from the darkness into glorious light. Amen. And we'd like to turn the service over to Robbie. We're going to conclude our service worshiping the Lord together. You're welcome to stand as we worship. You can sit as we worship. Or you can come to the altar. But we're going to, come, we're going to worship the Lord because of who He is. He is worthy of our worship. Sing this with me. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. That's why we're here today, to worship him. Let's sing it again, because of who you are. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I will. 
because of who you are. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Nisi, Lord, you reign in victory. Because of who you are, Lord, I worship you. Because of who you are, sing Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. We're just going to play that verse again. And as we do, I just want to encourage you to worship the Lord in your own way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
that you're our provider you're our healer and you give us victory and that's why we love you today Jesus let's go back to the song because of who you are just sing that chorus Jehovah Jireh Jehovah Jireh my provider Jehovah Nisi, Lord, you reign in victory. Jehovah Shalom, my Prince of Peace. And I worship you because of who you are. Lord, I worship you. Because of who you are. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. God, we worship you today. God, I thank you for your greatness. How great is our God. You are worthy of our praise. The 
Just like that, a cappella with the drums. How 
service today. We're going to read that same scripture verse as we started off our service. But before we read that together, let me just pray over our offering. If you want to give, there's a receptacle in the back, the offering box. You can give on your way out. It's our opportunity to keep worshiping the Lord. God, I thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for Pastor Pavia and the message that he shared with us this morning challenging us to relationships, to help build relationships and not tear relationships apart. God, as we go our separate ways, I pray that you'd show us how to do that in our jobs, in our families, in our homes. God, may we be motivated by your love as you died on the cross for our sins. God, remind us of how much you love us. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Let's read this together as we go our separate ways. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.